This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program, which is continuing to struggle, I guess you might say, with the fact that the host is on a continental landmass, while the producer is out in the middle of the ocean. We're going to have to blame that situation as we offer an apology for the poor audio quality during the first segment on last week's show. Although, to the best of our ability to determine, it appears that uh, this involved operator error on the part of the host in not being uh, sufficiently careful with the directional microphone. Be that as it may, let us proceed with this week's program as we like to do, beginning with On This Date in History, the date today being the 19th of September. It was on September 19th in the year 1783 that the Montgolfier brothers, French ballooning pioneers, launched a hot air balloon near Versailles. The passengers were a sheep, a rooster, and a duck, which frankly strikes us as a bit unfair to the sheep. The other two creatures at least had wings. But whatever, it was a red-letter day in aviation and led to the first manned, untethered flight the following November. Thirteen years later on this date, on this side of the Atlantic, U.S. President George Washington published his farewell address and retired to Mount Vernon. We like to add, because it's worth adding, that George Washington was a great man. He certainly could have seized power and made himself king but had absolutely no inclination to do so, and thus we are still a republic. So far, anyway. Apparently Napoleon Bonaparte, who had no qualms about betraying the French Revolution, once said, They wanted me to be another Washington, regarding the man who did not betray the American Revolution. Well, it was a good thing George didn't. And providing some comedy relief for this date in history, September 19th in 1959, in one of the more surreal moments in the history of the Cold War, Soviet leader Nikita Khrushchev exploded with anger when he learned that he could not visit Disneyland. Apparently, Walt Disney was quite the right-winger and was determined not to have this communist on his property. And rather sadly for international relations, cooler heads did not prevail. And it was on September 19th in 1991 that a German hiker in the Tyrolean Alps discovered the Iceman, a mummified corpse frozen in a glacier. In the years since, we've learned a great deal about the Iceman, who's been nicknamed Otzi, and the times he lived in based on the technology of the items he was carrying, and some of the medical evidence from his remains. Our quote of the day for today's program comes from Honoré de Balzac, who once said, Laws are spider webs through which the big flies pass and the little ones get caught. And our quip of the day comes from columnist Bill Vaughn, who once said, A real patriot is the fellow who gets a parking ticket and rejoices that the system works. Our jokes of the day come from the writers for Conan O'Brien, who noted first off that the NFL is, of course, coming under a lot of fire. Today it came out that law enforcement sent a copy of the Ray Rice video to NFL headquarters back in April. Then the NFL commissioner apologized, saying the video got buried in the stack of other illegal things NFL players are doing. 
Conan went on to note that reportedly the identity of Jack the Ripper, who killed five people in London, finally has been revealed. After hearing about it, the commissioner of the NFL suspended him for two games. Our stats of the day come first from the headline news that support for the death penalty is slipping in California. Of course, when you actually turn to the page with the stats, you find out that the overall opinion on death penalty in California shows that 56% support it, while 34% oppose it. Yes, apparently a federal judge recently ruled this, our state's implementation of the death penalty is unconstitutional due to the length of time it takes to carry out an execution. In light of this ruling, it was noted that 40% of Californians now favor a life term without parole. Lost in the shuffle is the fact that 52% of Californians favor speeding up executions. To which I would say in this correspondence uh, opinion, it seems more logical that speeding up the process would simply solve the issue. Of course, I should add that that opinion, like all those heard on this program, does not necessarily represent those of KDVS, our sponsors, or the University of California. But then you knew that. All right, our second stat of the day is that uh, here in Sacramento County, the local mosquito control officials reported last week that they have confirmed 25 new samples of insects carrying the West Nile virus, a sign that the virus remains widespread in the region even as summer winds down, according to reporting in the Sacramento Bee. I guess this is an explanation for why it is they're spraying poison all over the field, sometimes without letting people know. According to officials with the Sacramento Yolo Mosquito and Vector Control District, there were four confirmed human cases of the disease in Sacramento County this year, which included one death. Yes, the disease is with us and it's not going to go away, but what people don't realize is that most cases of West Nile virus are subclinical. You don't even know you have it. Oh, you might feel a little bit under the weather, but you're not particularly sick in most instances. To quote from the Mayo Clinic website, which I feel inclined to do, I should note that, quote, West Nile infection is caused by a virus transmitted by mosquitoes. Most people infected with West Nile virus don't experience any signs or symptoms or may experience only minor ones, such as fever and mild headache. However, some people who become infected with with West Nile virus develop a life-threatening illness that includes inflammation of the brain. There you have it. Most of us will get it and scarcely be aware of it. So can we justify the widespread use of organophosphate toxins in the environment to protect those very few people who might sustain a life-threatening, serious illness? Despite what some folks at Vector Control may think, I would say that the jury is still out on that one. Especially after reminiscing someone who is my age, that is to say over five decades. We were both noting that a generation ago, there were a great deal more butterflies flitting about the landscape which was probably a sign of a rather healthy ecosystem. When you drench it with pesticides and kill everything, well, that's a, that's a meat axe solution. Eh, we'll have more to say about that in the months to come, I think. Let's do our anecdote of the week, which is as follows. A California bank robbery suspect supplied all the evidence the police needed when the stolen bag of cash allegedly fell out of his pants at the police station. 
Local police said Sean Lee Canfield failed to bring a bag to the bank, and so he just shoved the $2,748 down his pants. When he was arrested shortly after leaving the bank and was brought into the station for arraignment, $2,400 fell out of his pant legs in wads. Police asked him to stand up, and another 300 bucks came tumbling out. Canfield at that point admitted to the robbery, according to police, and explained he needed the money to visit his mother in Colorado. To which we would add, Mr. Canfield, we're pretty sure you can get a bus ticket for well under $2,000. Our good news of the week is this item. The U.S. Senate this week voted 79 to 18 to debate a constitutional amendment that would overturn Citizens United, a 2010 Supreme Court ruling that loosened campaign spending restrictions and gave rise to super PACs. Democrats are saying that the proposed amendment would allow Congress to set reasonable limits on the raising and spending of money by candidates and others. It would also reverse this year's McCutcheon versus FEC ruling, which struck down aggregate limits on individual contributions. To become law, an amendment must get two-thirds of the votes in both the House and Senate and then be ratified by three-fourths of the states. House Republicans, rather predictably, said the amendment is an attack on free speech. Speaking of free speech, I really want to compliment uh, whoever it was in uh, the Sacramento Public Library who, a couple of years ago, put on an event where actor, well, actors were supposed to appear, I gather, as Thomas Jefferson and Alexander Hamilton and debate the politics of the late 18th century. Uh, From what I can gather, the Hamilton actor didn't show up, and so the Jeffersonian actor had to wing it on his own, but it was riveting television. The actor was superb. From what I can gather uh, from a check on the web, the man was an actor named Steve Edinboe. We may need to get uh, uh, this actor on this program to talk about Jefferson and his ideas because a lot of what was uh, discussed before an enraptured um, audience uh, was still resonating these centuries later. To be able to pull this off, this actor really had to know uh, Jefferson's thoughts cold and uh, ha- have to have an encyclopedic knowledge of his, uh, his life story, and uh, boy, I just can't say enough good things about that. Once in a while, television really surprises you with how good it can be. I don't know, why don't we go at this point into the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to The Week magazine, it was a good week a few weeks back for adaptation after pro basketball player Meta World Peace, formerly known as Ron Artest, announced that he will go by a new name, The Panda's Friend, while playing this year for the Sichuan Blue Whales of the Chinese Basketball Association. It was, on the other hand, a bad week. A few weeks back for unsafe sex, after six Swiss tourists who were in Ibiza, Spain, got fined $135 each when they were caught having an orgy in a moving van. Said a police spokesman, having sex in the back of a van is not illegal. Not wearing a seatbelt is. Spanish holiday goers, take note. And it was an ugly week. 
a few weeks back for, I guess it would be the coroner's office somewhere down in Brazil, because apparently Valdelúcio Gonçalves, age 54, suffered a heart attack and apparently was pronounced dead. But I think you see where this is going. It turned out Mr. Gonzalez was not dead, and he regained consciousness inside a body bag in the morgue and was freed from his entanglement when his grieving brother noticed that the bag was wriggling and then rising and falling as if he was breathing, because apparently he was. And uh, we have a sight up in the sky, which uh, might not completely take your breath away and cause you to be declared dead by Brazilian authorities, but is nevertheless pretty cool. Uh, is the fact that the next few days, or the next couple weeks, actually, uh, up in the sky, Mars will be passing by its rival. Mars was known to the Greeks as Ares, and they named the star Antares, rival of Mars, in honor of the red planet, because Antares is quite a bright red star. So go out, take the time to do this, if you haven't looked at the sky in a while. Go out. After dark, after sunset, look in the southwest and see if you can pick out the giant dot-to-dot connections of the constellation Scorpius. And the key distinguishing feature, I think, of it uh, is the fact that the tail, there's two bright stars that make a really good stinger, and it curls around in a curly cue. It's actually a hell of a good scorpion. But notice the fact that its brightest star, Antares, really does rival Mars. They're very similar when when they find themselves passing in space. When Mars is closest to the Earth during those favorable oppositions, uh, you can see that it's actually quite orange in color, not red. But when geometry places it low in the sky, as is inevitably the case when it whips by Antares, from our position, it's going to look redder than usual and rather dim. Not as spectacular as during those uh, those bright oppositions, but still pretty cool. Take my word for this. Well, you just go check it out. And the European Space Agency is trying to check out where it's going to land on that comet. Yes, it's been tricky trying to pick a landing spot for the uh, the probe to come off of the Rosetta spacecraft um, uh, sometime in November. Because of its odd rubber ducky sort of shape, it turns out that uh, many places on the surface of Comet 67P Churyumov Jadasamenko, and from now on we're going to just call it 67P. Well, in some of those spots, uh, the gravity might not be vertical to the surface like it here is on Earth. It may be rather horizontal, which would cause all kinds of trouble. Oh, and by the way, we have checked. It is too late to send Bruce Willis. No matter how good an idea it may be, in principle, to send Bruce Willis into a moderately deep space. And speaking of Bruce Willis, which is something we try to never say on this program, I have to share this clipping I dug out of our files from, oh, many years ago. This one came from Conan O'Brien, who noted that Bruce Willis may sue Apple so he can pass down his Apple Music collection to his daughter. Noted, Conan O'Brien at the time, this could be an important case, because if there's one thing teenage girls love, it's their dad's music collection. Now, we were hoping Mr. Will Durst might have a thing or two to say about this election over in the UK, about whether to bust Scotland out of the United Kingdom. Scotland has been allied with Britain since, what, 1709? 
Well, I'm not sure when it took effect, but you know, the Union does go back to the 1707 Act of Union with England, which did centralize political power in London's Parliament. We'll have to see where the chips fall on this one. Oh, without Mr. Durst, he's apparently uh, very busy this week and unable to send us one of his uh, fine commentaries. There's a little quick political item that I like. We're going to take this one from the Ultimate Reference book, The Wits Thesaurus. Apparently, Russell Baker, while the New York Times correspondent on Capitol Hill in early 1961, was emerging from the Senate when he was collared by Vice President Lyndon Baines Johnson. Johnson exclaimed, you, I've been looking for you. He pulled him in his office and embarked on a monologue concerning his insider position and importance within the Kennedy administration. While talking, he scribbled on a piece of paper and buzzed for his secretary. She came in, took the paper, left the room, soon reappeared, and returned the paper to Johnson. Johnson, still talking, glanced at the paper, crumpled it, and threw it away. Later, Russell Baker learned that Johnson had written, Who is this I'm talking to? All right, let's take a short break. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. We've got plenty more. Stick around. Stick around. 